Hi, and welcome back to the Institute Performance Nutrition's We Do Science podcast. This is episode 129, and today I have Dr. Nick Bird with me. Hey, Nick, how are you doing? Hey, thank you. Yeah, pleasure to be on um, for you, and look forward for the chat we're going to have. I can't wait. And the reason, I mean, there's several reasons why I would want to have you uh, on this podcast for this conversation, um, but... A few months ago, just before Christmas, we were both presenting at a, a conference in London. Um, and uh, it was all about dietary interactions uh, and nutrition, basically. And um, that was uh, uh, opened uh, by yourself. And I enjoyed your presentation tremendously, which was um, about, um, I've got the title in front of me. So it was a shift to a holistic viewpoint to optimize dietary protein and exercise interactions and I loved it because it was music to my ears because as we were just discussing offline I'm all about science to practice the you know the translational potential of of information and knowledge and science is what I'm interested in you know it's all very well having science um, uh, uh, you know explain to us talk to us in presentations and lectures or on papers that we read but you know, sometimes we do have to actually question, you know, how relevant actually is that to, to practice. And um, there was a couple of messages that you gave in your presentation that, you know, were sort of um, repeats in many respects um, or echoes of some very key themes that I have on my podcast, which I bang on about over the past few years, which are topics like... Um, you know, for example, one area is in sports nutrition. We tend to bang on about things like calories and macros, uh, protein, um, but we don't eat calories, macros, and protein, um, or at least we eat food. And I very much want to extol this food first approach, which was at the very heart of your conversation and topics like the food matrix, which is something I really want to get into. Sure. Uh, uh, <clears throat> But also, you know, there's, there's this idea of uh, um, it depends. You know, what are the contextual considerations of this information, particularly when, as scientists, um, you know, we, we tend to uh, go down a very reductionist pathway for very good reasons. Um, but the problem with reductionism is that that um, can present a lot of problems when it comes to the translational relevance of that information which we then have to sort of reverse engineer um which requires quite a lot of skill um which is something that we're you know that we try to do with this podcast so that's that sort of brings me to why i couldn't wait to have this chat with you so i'm i'm really really grateful uh, to have you here maybe um the best way is to do our usual then is to kick this off with you just giving us some information about yourself and um, you know, what you're doing with your um, research career and your background. And, and then if you could end that bit with, uh, you know, why did you even get into this particular topic? Um, you know, uh, because some people will be, will be saying, oh my God, not protein again. He just keeps doing podcasts on protein. So you know, why are we visiting this? So yeah. yeah, no, um, you know, just <clears throat> from a scientific perspective, a little bit about uh, me, um, I've been pretty fortunate to work with um, some some amazing scientists throughout my career. Um, you know, I, I worked at the, <clears throat> the master's level with Todd Trappi um, at the uh, Human Performance Lab at Ball State University. Who, you know, he really taught me to become a scientist. Um, then I transitioned up with Stu Phillips at McMaster University, who 
as you alluded to, has been on this particular podcast a few times. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, Stu was great because he, he really reminded me that science can be fun. Um, and then ultimately moved over to um, with Luke Van Loon um, over the Netherlands. Um, and Luke really taught me how to, how to obviously do science, but also how to run a lab. Sort of collectively, I would say all three of those experiences shaped, um, you know, sort of my research direction now, which, you know, generally tends to focus on, you know, nutrition, exercise, and substrate metabolism with a particular interest in skeletal muscle tissue. Um, but certainly the program we have over here at Illinois, it's very interdisciplinary. So focusing on skeletal muscle tissue, but also looking at gut health as well as cognitive health. So, you know, all these things collectively starts, when you start to think about, you know, whole body physiology, who I, I think Luke is phenomenal about doing, um, you know, he's a, he's a true physiologist um, in the sense where he really thinks about a re research question I would say holistically, you know, you put something in your mouth, what does it do from a, a whole body perspective? Um, and so, you know, you know, you know, still he gave me some insight and then coming over here with a little stronger nutritional program, um, you know, really focused me on food-based guidelines. And then, you know, you know, as you alluded to, you know, there's life is a moving target, right? So <laughs> nutritional requirements are going are going to fluctuate you know not only on your daily life but certain cohorts of people you know some people are really into the plant-based sort of eating styles you know or rather it's a mediterranean style or vegetarian vegetarian style telling these cohorts of individuals who you want to eat this way you know doesn't make a lot of sense you know especially if they're a vegan how important <laughs> animal-based proteins are because for whatever reason they're going they're they're a vegan um, so, you know, sort of taking that in perspective and then, you know, don't tell people, you know, in their case that you shouldn't be eating plant-based or plant diets, tell them how to eat a, a plant diet, right? Yeah. And then, you know, and just like a resistance athlete versus, versus an endurance athlete, um, you know, they're just, they're different. <laughs> so well, they are different. And, yeah. and that's, that's what, I mean, we're going to explore that from the perspective of where, all this information is and the evidence that exists out there. And let's face it, this is a seriously popular topic. Um, I've joked about this in the past with previous guests and said that, you know, when you look at the stats from, from my podcast, I'm sure other podcasters in my, in my field have the same sort of stats is if you, you simply have the word protein somewhere in the episode title, they far outweigh all of the other, podcasts in terms of numbers of, of accesses and downloads so you know it's an incredibly popular one but as i said right at the beginning you know that a lot of people like to reduce this to simple statements like is protein good for you or is protein bad for you or should we you know should we be plant-based and you know the typical you know the typical response to that probably should be you're not you're not asking the right questions because that means that we can't answer the, those questions correctly to, you know, to help inform and educate people. So that's one of the things I want to try and get into in our chat today, which I felt inspired to do from listening to your lecture and then reading some papers that you've, yeah, um, I mean, that you've authored on this topic. Because I think there's some, some really cool stuff in this conversation that yeah. would help people understand what those nuances are in that conversation. And then 
will guide that, you know, that, that information in, into the right directions, whether it's for researchers, whether it's for practitioners or whether it's, it's for consumers. Now, I, I should say right from the beginning here, you know, I've done a lot of podcasts about protein, um, largely some quite mechanistic stuff. Um, yeah. You know, we, we go right back to the origins of, of the science behind this with people like um, Stu Phillips, who you've mentioned, and Kev Tipton, both individually and combined, um, all the way up to some recent, very recent episodes um, where we've even looked at protein supplementation and resistant exercise training with Dr. Rob Morton, who, who you know, um, only a couple of episodes back, 100, episode 125. And also um, we got into protein and endurance athletes with Dan Moore, episode 121. So I, I don't really need to go um, recover some of those steps. Um, but there'll probably be a bit of crossover here. But let's just, let's just start this conversation, though. Um, I don't know you've covered a little bit of this, but w- why did you feel that you needed to sort of dig deep into this topic and ultimately, you know, produce, for example, the, those two papers that have recently come out in 2000? Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, it's hard. You know, and, um, you know, you sort of alluded to, you, you know, protein's popular, right? Um, is protein good? Well, well of course, I mean, yeah, protein is good. I mean, it's a, it's a macronutrient we need. There are essential amino acids, right? So essential implies that, you know, we can't make them. We got to eat them. <laughs> so, but, you know, protein is an important component, obviously, of any dietary pattern. Um, but, you know, my major concern, not concern, or just thought perhaps we need to be a little more thoughtful um, about uh, some of these, you know, protein recommendation um, they're getting a bit high. Um, and I mean, that's where the data is pointing and I, I appreciate that. Um, but just trying to make sure that we're, we're actually looking at it, um, you know, holistically, um, you know, in terms of, okay. Yeah. So protein is important, right? I mean, when we think about uh, protein here in the U S protein is the only macronutrient represented on, um, the U S my plate, which is our educational tool for the U S uh, for, for the U.S. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's pretty exceptional, right? When you think about that, protein, the only macronutrient represented on our plate, right? You know, there's vegetables, there's dairy, you know, et cetera. Protein has a, a, central, a central role on that particular educational tool. So right away, I mean, that tells you that even here, uh, it, you know, at the U.S., I'm not real familiar with uh, the U.K.'s <clears throat> systems. Um, but nonetheless, okay, protein is important. Right. So when we're viewing that plate, now we're, we're saying that basically that macronutrient needs to start representing a bigger proportion of that plate. Right. And if that's the reality, then fine. Um, but is that really the reality at every meal <laughs> and at every situation? Right. Because, you know, the major issue here is if we start protein starts to overtake that plate on too high of a level, ultimately we could impact diet quality start displacing, you know, some of the other macronutrients that are required, you know, you know, from an athletic perspective, obviously, you know, carbohydrates. Um, so that's really why I started thinking about this at a, at a high level, um, you know, because protein requirements is, that's a hard thing to pin down, you know, to give one global number, that's, that's real challenging. I mean, it's ultimately the habitual pattern is going to matter too. I mean, Dan Moore, who you had on your podcast has showed showed us um, 
that you know the human body has a huge capacity to to oxidize amino acids, right? And it can adjust accordingly. So in a recent study he published, you know, if there's a if you're a big time protein eater, guess what? You just elevated your protein requirement, right? Um, and that tends to be true for these for these weightlifters. So taking a weightlifting requirement and and trying to in a big protein eater as well to try to say this is what we need to be eating. Um, I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm not sure it's exactly right either. Um, so, you know, just trying to think about this from a thoughtful perspective. Um, and a lot of that work is done with either free amino acids or isolated proteins. So different, very different than eating. Yeah, food. it is. Yeah. And I, I mean, but I think this is part of the problem is, is because, you, you know, we got one word, protein, but it, you can't reduce it to that one word that took less than a second to say. There's so much to that word. Um, so the first thing that springs to mind, um, and also you raise in your, in your paper and you talked about in your presentation, you know, is this issue of, or this term protein quality? You know, what, what do we even mean by that term? Because that's a hell of a it depends scenario in the first place. Plus also people very quotes unquote clever people have different understandings about what that word quality even means and how they even determine what quality is and that filters its way down obviously down the translational pathway um where people maybe aren't understanding just how complicated that situation actually is oh, yeah. Your point, yeah your point being is uh, you know protein quality the the most accepted measurement now is dias which is you're directly measuring the amino acid absorption at absorption at the end of the small intestine, right? The issue with some of those diet scores right now is that a lot of that stuff is done with um, um, uncooked food, right? Cooking food is going to change the food matrix and change the diet score or change protein quality, right? Um, so, um, you know, and then a lot, again, a lot of that work is done and um, not only with raw foodstuffs, but um, um, and just, with a single food source, right? So a researcher here who does the diet work has showed us that, you know, we can add a little fat, um, you know, use a whole soybean in this case, so this is, you know, protein and fat. Um, and you can adjust protein quality, right? Because you're just slowing down absorption and you're allowing more amino acids to be absorbed. Um, and thus now you just change protein quality, right? Another issue with diets is, you know, um, they're not taking into account how does exercise impact their protein quality score, right? They sort of discount it um, just with my basic conversations with some of the, the, the workers in that particular field. But it's, in my mind, why wouldn't exercise impact diets and thus protein quality? It impacts every other macronutrient and how we utilize it. So why wouldn't it impact protein? I mean, that's that's something that, you know, that's, that's a whole other chat in itself. I mean, just imagine exercise is adjusting the quality of a, of a protein, right? So, I mean, it goes back to your point. Um, protein is, yeah, it's, it's a very dynamic, it's a moving target. Um, and it is, isn't I, it? And, I, I, and, and that's where I think we, you know, we need to be careful, but maybe we're not as careful as we should be, is how, how we're interpreting and then applying these meanings, um, which again brings us back to this issue with reductionism that, you know, pervades science for very very good reasons but also given 
so you know so many things in this world does come down to taking the path of least resistance that also includes you know what it takes to explain stuff what it takes to understand stuff but for someone like me for example where I, you know, I'm not just trying to understand something to get a passing knowledge on it. I want to, I want to understand and translate that so that the, the ultimate impact of that is I can use that to inform my decision making with my elite athletes and teams where even, even a slight misinterpretation of that information, the potential consequence of that is I'm not going to help them achieve their goals, um, you know, winning, et cetera, et cetera, or getting them over illnesses and injuries. So in, in, in terms of, you know, I guess the level of misinformation that exists out there or, or the translational blocks that exist in terms of all these different terminologies, like you talk about dias, but then of course some people start talking about things like, oh, well, you know, what about, uh, you know, uh, the whole nitrogen studies and you've got that angle um and of course it depends who we're even talking about are we talking about a child are we talking about you know an older bedridden adult are we talking about an athlete and what the hell are we trying to do with the protein anyway <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean i think to your point you know you know from an athlete perspective um you would know better than i but um because you're the practitioner but you know i i always say convenience is king and simple messages is what is their life is too confusing already, right? So definitely simple, easy messaging, I, I think is the way to go. And, you know, in terms of, you know, from a protein recommendation, um, shooting high, I think as we are, um, and focusing on an absolute amount, that's easier than talking about, because there's certainly an interaction between quality and quantity. Meaning if your base diet is a little higher quality, you can get away with less, right? Um, but, you know, if, if, if the quality of that protein coming in, yeah, you, you just, you, you innately need more, you know what I mean? So there's that, but that, that starts to get too complicated for an athlete. So, you know, from that messaging, I appreciate like focusing on an absolute protein target, easy, right? Easy messaging, because you know what, if they're eating high enough amounts of protein, they're going to certainly be at the amount they need, you know what I mean? So you're, it's a safety margin is what I'm trying to say. So yeah. You know, that some of those recommendations at 1.6 grams per kg, at least from a power or weightlifting perspective. Um, I mean, is that a bad question? No, because you can, you know, because you're sure that they're going to get what they need, right? Do they actually need that much? Probably not, yeah. <laughs> especially if they have a high quality base diet, right? But, well, but that starts to get into the weeds a little bit. And I don't think that's that's relevant to, to an athlete, right? Well, I I agree, Nick. And that's the problem, though, is, 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 is it relevant or is it not? And, and, and what people like to do is to get into the weeds. I love that phrase. They love getting into the weeds because what they start doing is getting lost in, into the research that might be more specific, say, to muscle protein synthesis, for example. Um, and that's not just muscle protein synthesis. That's in very specific scenarios um in a labor in a tightly controlled laboratory environment with you know subjects that might be students untrained you know individuals and so on how how deep into since you started this conversation i think we're gonna go down this a bit how deep in the weeds have 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 you um and by you i don't mean you personally but you as researchers 
into the protein area, particularly in sport and exercise science um, sort of fields. How deep into the weeds do you think a lot of that research is going in terms of the body of knowledge that currently exists, where researchers are going with this information? Um, do you feel that they're, they're, they're going deeper into those weeds or, you know, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, um, no, I mean, as a, you know, we're I'm a physiologist, man. Like you alluded to, who doesn't love to be in the weeds, man? I mean, that's the best. As a scientist, that's the funnest place to be, right? I mean, just you know, because that's where there's just you know, I mean, it goes back to to A. V. Hill, um, you know, in his classic Philadelphia, you know, lecture where somebody somebody stood up and asked him, you know, with regards to you know, what's the meaning of all this data? You just should told us about muscle metabolism or whatever he was like oh, you know what sometimes we don't do things because they're useful but because they're amusing right <laughs> and sometimes that's true i mean half half my my studies i'm like uh you know if i really think think about it i'm building a career on one simple hypothesis and that's protein ingestion stimulates protein synthesis right <laughs> how meaningful is that you know it's fun but how meaningful is it um so I, no, I, I think all this stuff. This is, this is where your wife says, yeah, your, your job's really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she would never say that. Um, she's usually like, don't talk to me. But no, um, <laughs> I wish that was a joke. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same problem. We'll commiserate after the recording, yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, you know, from the mechanisms are relevant because we need a reason. I mean, I feel better about giving a recommendation if I understand why I'm giving that recommendation, yeah. right? I mean, that is important. Um, and we started, you know, at the most basic level because that's the logical place to start. You know, rather it's Bob Wolf and all his, um, and Kevin Tipton, you know, some of that seminal work, um, utilizing free, uh, free amino acids, right? How relevant is that to the food we eat? Uh, not really, because we don't need free amino acids in, in daily life, right? So a logical step from that, okay, let's move to isolated protein sources, right? Um, now, you know, we, we focus a lot on the isolated protein sources, and I, I think this is where we start, and we are, you know, we're starting to move beyond that. You know, our, some of our work has looked at just food, and now our next progression, of course, is looking at meals, right? Dietary patterns, right? How does a, uh, you know, how does a, a classical U.S. style dietary pattern, which contains obviously animal-based proteins, compare to a, a vegetarian-based dietary pattern, right? With making sure that, you know, we're trying to um, give, you know, you know, in terms of vegetarian style uh, pattern of eating, using complementary protein pairings to really make sure that we're at least given that particular eating pattern a fair shot to be successful, right? Um, the problem with, you know, the isolated protein um, studies right now is, yeah, of course, when you compare whey to a, a, a you know, single source uh, vegetable protein, that's not a fair fight. You know what I mean? That's just, mm. that's, that's silly, especially when you have an incorporation period in terms of the prime constant fusion methods of only, you know, three, three hours or so, you're leveraging way to be successful because all those amino acids are going to be in circulation relatively quickly, right? Um, so, of course, whey is going to win that fight every time. Um, and I'm not saying whey is bad. No, it's great. I mean, look at its amino acid composition. Look at its, you know, its high leucine content, convenient source of substrate. Yeah, 
I'm, I'm a fan. Um, but, <laughs> you know, there's other protein sources available too that, that can do a good job as well, I guess is, is the no, Absolutely. Point. And the, the reason why I want to hang around this, this area for a bit is because this is very much central to where I feel there's been some translational issues here because you know a lot of, a lot of the a lot of the science is being done to understand mechanisms um and that is without the intention of 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 meaning that information to be directly translated into the real world that's not what it's for it's, it's there to help us understand what's going on and up until more recently there have been difficulties have there not in terms of how you know how how much you can understand within the laboratory environment and part of that would be you know technology the limits to technology obviously limits of, inf of knowledge you know further back in in time um but just quickly on that topic um and and to go back to the, that term that we've referred to you know reductionism and and so on how you know how do you feel that has impacted the overall body of knowledge you know where we're at on this topic and and why we need to go say from a less muscle centric approach to a more holistic approach um yeah well yeah i mean I, yeah just from you know i i personally think we can still you know focus on muscle um the way i, I like muscle is because um if you think about it that's that's basically our storage depot of amino acids right that's our mm -hmm. primary reservoir so if we're meeting the requirements of muscle, um, we're, we're certainly meeting other bodily protein needs. So, you know, and our tools are very good at studying muscle. I mean, so there is some benefit uh, studying muscle, right? I mean, there's always this conversation that, you know, perhaps the immune response is, is going to require a couple more grams of uh, protein uh, beyond what muscle needs. Probably, I mean, whatever. I mean, maybe, but, but it's quite trivial in my mind. I, I still, I still like focusing, um, focusing on on the muscle. Um, you know, you can still use a holistic approach, approach, and still, you know, be a little more muscle centric. I mean, from an athlete perspective, from an aging perspective, we gotta protect skeletal muscle tissue, right? Sure. Especially now we know skeletal muscle is so so interesting and it's releasing all of this cool stuff and circulation. Maybe talking to your brain, or some might say that, um, the psychology follows uh, the physiology, or the physiology follows the psychology. We don't really know which is true, but as a muscle physiologist, you know, I like to think, hey, a healthy muscle means a strong mind, but you know, could be the reverse, um, of course. Um, so um, I, I think the muscle is good. You know, in terms of the messaging from using, you know, more of these reductionist models. Of course, that's our messaging because it's all we have right now, right? So, you know, at some level, we do have to follow our data because there is, you know, whether it's Stu, whether it's Luke, um, or a number of other individuals, um, you know, these are some of the best scientists in the world producing very, very beautiful data. And we got, we got to use it. Um, and I think they're starting to appreciate this too. But we can we can do better right we can start moving into these these questions right such as okay isolated protein powders do this and i sort of said this in my talk and I, I sometimes people lose sight of this is that a maximal you know back to protein synthesis but a maximal protein synthetic response is not an optimal response 
So those get used interchangeably, right? These isolated protein powder, uh, protein powders rather, are certainly inducing maximal responses. But if you look at the other side of the coin, look at the amount of amino acid oxidation that is occurring, even at a purportedly optimal dose, right? That's not that's not optimal. That's maximal. You're just plowing in a bunch of protein to hit a plateau, without even caring about the amount of amino acid oxidation going on, right? So those dose response curves or maximal dose response curves, we really don't have an optimal, right? And I think to develop an optimal dose response curve, we gotta use food um, and, and leverage the food matrix effects and these kind of things. And um, to, to allow us to get a, a you know, plateau the protein synthetic response without these large oxidation rates, mm. right? And to even go a step further from that, I mean, this sort of tells you what we don't know. Meal frequency is not even, thought about with some of these recommendations, right? We always run our experiments in the morning, right? After an overnight fast, I can guarantee, I mean, I, I strongly, you know, my hypothesis is that that breakfast meal is probably the most important protein meal of the day or the first meal of the day is probably the most important meal of the day, right? Hopefully it's breakfast if we're, you know, getting up at the same uh, time of day. Mm. And then that response is gonna wane over time, right? Not to say we shouldn't be frequently eating protein throughout the day, but I think that first meal is going to be one of the most important meals in terms of eliciting a big protein synthetic response. Um, but these are things that we need to sort out. And then I think we can, you know, sort of better develop, you know, a recommendation. But again, it goes back to my earlier point, you know, shooting high, it's not going to hurt us, <laughs> especially if you keep it in perspective where we're not displacing a lot of other other nutrients, I think that's fine um, for now. But from a sustainability standpoint, maybe it won't be fine, right? Yeah. Well, we're gonna get we're gonna get into that yeah. topic um, a bit because we can't avoid it. Uh, <laughs> um, and yes, look, of course, there, you know, it, this is this is why I said it depends. You know, there's a lot of contextual yeah. stuff here. If if you know, if part of your strategy with protein is also to um, you know, help you reduce eating other stuff or to have an impact on satiety or whatever. You know, these are all, these yeah. are all the different things that protein can or, you know, uh, can, can do as your sort of toolbox of strategies for using, for using protein. But before we, we I want to get into the food matrix and what, it, what even is that in a minute. But just to quickly go back to protein, because of course protein isn't just protein, there's different types of protein. Um, you've also mentioned in terms of protein quality, we also need to look at what happened to the protein, not just whether it's animal or, or plant or, you know, different fractions of that, you know, whey and casein and so on, but also, you know, what happened to it in the cooking or processing stage, you know, that these are things I think that are also quite interesting. Do you want to just quickly give us an idea about what that, what that actually is in terms of protein quality? Yeah, yeah, I mean, so, you know, I mean, some of the, Paul Moen, who's a, a great diet worker, um, has done some heat treatment manipulations, right? And actually, a lot of the uh, um, work, more from the dog food industry, <laughs> has gave us a good compass of, uh, of uh, how cooking impacts protein quality. Um, I mean, there's certain amino acids that are going to be more susceptible to, to high heat. That's why you have to be thoughtful about it. So lysine is susceptible. To, to high heat, you know, and as soon as you start um, hurting certain amino acids, you're going to directly impact amino acid uh, protein quality, right? So 
you know, but you know, from a cooking perspective, we know that cooking um, is going to uh, denature that protein um, a little bit and going to allow access of the, the proteolytic enzymes, um, you know, to to get these amino acids in circulation on a higher level, right? Um, so, you know, basically Rocky had it wrong, right? With all his raw egg, uh, you know, Rocky the movie, <laughs> he would promote eating raw eggs, um, which you would assume was because he thought they were more anabolic. But they, you know, eating a raw egg uh, is less effective than eating a cooked egg, right? Um, but then you can also go on the other end of the spectrum. Too high of heat is going to, you know, produce some poor quality proteins too. So, um, but you know, in general cooking is good. Um, and so, I mean, that, that one level tells you already, but that's just at the most simple, unexciting level. Cooking a food changes its matrix and now we impact um, protein quality, right? Um, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that should give us the first clue. I mean, right, the food matrix uh, effects are real, right? And then the, the other layer, which I'll soon get into, is how, you know, the nutrient, nutrient interactions. Right yeah, there. definitely. Yeah, that's next. Um, and just, you know, out of interest, um, what about the, you know, the, the, the machinery um, that actually breaks down, absorbs, and utilizes this? You know, is there anything there that, that has any meaningful impact on that? Um, um, you, you mean uh, at the end? Yeah, uh, uh, like digestion, gut, gut permeability, these oh, sorts of things. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting call. I mean, like this, so the reason um, I'm sort of interested in gut permeability um, is, um, you know, when we think about food um, and, you know, some of these peptides that are in foods, you know, the smaller pieces of protein, um, they could have some therapeutic potential. Um, you know, I mean, so, I mean, a lot of people focus on whey protein, right. And all its cool peptides and whatnot. Um, so, you know, there's sort of two camps on that front. Um, it's kind of stupid to think about these peptides because they don't transfer, right. They're, they just, there's no mechanism for these bigger proteins uh, to get across from the, from an amino acid transport perspective in your small intestine. I mean, that's okay, that's fair, but what does exercise do, right? It increases gut permeability, right? And that's, and that's, that's interesting. So some work in the Netherlands, um, which, which uh, isn't from Luke, I know that's hard to believe, <laughs> Luke Van Loon. <laughs> um, but some, some other researchers in the Netherlands, um, you know, did a really, really simple study, basically under the resting condition, I think they consumed some casein and then they switched to milk protein and then they probed um, in circulation, whether certain peptides contained in that casein protein made it in the circulation. It didn't. Okay. They had an exercise. It was cycling exercise. It's been a couple of years since I've actually read the paper, but I believe it was cycling exercise. Um, did the same thing. They ingested the casein. And guess what? These peptides showed up, right? Mm. Exercise increased gut permeability now provided an avenue for certain food drive peptides to get in the circulation. Now the question is, what do they do once they're there? I mean, who knows, right? <laughs> they could be doing something cool or they could hmm. be doing nothing. Um, so, you know, again, their interaction of exercise with certain components of a, of a food matrix. I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? That's why to me, um, food is so much more exciting than sitting around and eating a bag of isolated protein, right? I mean, it's, 
it, it works, but it's not that cool. I mean, it's just protein in a bag with some largely some chocolate flavor. <laughs> you know what I mean? But food is so much more interesting to me. Uh, well, I think the, the, the thing about the, the supplement is that there's the illusion that you're getting, you know, sort of a, a super duper, you know, quick supply version of it. So, you know, getting more of that one item and getting it in quicker is somehow going to be more meaningful to you. And obviously there's, there's, an, there's an allure to that idea, particularly, I mean, some of the craziness that you hear where, you know, people will be taking a shot of whey protein between sets for example. There are <laughs> yeah. people that do that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good way to elevate amino acid oxidation, right? Well, yeah, it's probably the same people that are eating, you know, one or three amino acids, right, in terms of the brain's chain of amino acids. Well, it's I've like seen one. that done too. I've seen people taking leucine tablets between yeah, I mean, a set. Crazy. The point of that is, like, why eat one when you can eat them all, right? I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. Um, yeah. You know, if you want to eat leucine just in one convenient, then I, I would bet that just eat some whey protein it's yep. probably cheaper and it already has it has all the amino acids in it you know if you're really enamored with um elevating uh loosening during during exercise but i think largely you're just going to increase the oxidation rate so so let me i just want to reiterate something that i think we just need to be conscious of and that is of course if we're thinking about protein um if we're going to be you know toiling in our heads over you know the relevance of protein quality and so on we should always be mindful of course of of how relevant that is relative to what i would say is some bigger picture considerations which might be things like well how much food or calories for example but how much total energy are you consuming in any given day um and of course that little old thing the exercise stimulus itself um is there sort of a chicken or the egg, no pun intended, sort of thought here that we need to consider? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it goes down to, I mean, again, it's, every situation is is different. I mean, that's that's the problem. That's why um, sports dietitians and things I respect, you know, because they they have such a hard job because they got to actually personalize this information, right? Take the information that we're putting out as scientists, mm -hmm. which is generally just a global compass. Right, and then try to personalize this on an individual level to athletes with different goals. Right, whether they're you know from a weight loss perspective, yeah, eating a higher percentage of protein calories is beneficial. To the point you alluded to before was because of satiety, right, and it's also protective, protective yeah, the muscles during uh, low energy intake, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you guys got a high, I mean, it's kind of silly, but you know, an athlete eating you know, high energy intakes, like, you know, a lot of the endurance athletes do and whatnot, you know, it's not a concern of protein, right? No. I mean, because they're eating so much energy, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, I guess, you know, what's the goal? What's the situation? And, and the things. Well, that's, the, that's the thinking, you know, that I'm trying to keep at the forefront here is that, you know, we, we, I'm coming at this from a science to practice perspective. So we, we do need to have the bigger picture in mind. And, and as a practitioner, one of, one, you know, one of my main priorities is the health and welfare of my athletes. Um, because protein or, you know, energy intake 
um, all those different qualities that are found in food, but not necessarily just in protein, um, that which will affect things like the immune system, bone health, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of stuff that we have to factor in for that overall, you know, nutritional plan that we're trying to, to give our athletes. And that's why I really like this perspective that you've taken, because whilst we can get absolutely obsessed with protein and we do tend to overdose on that information as it relates to, you know, muscle protein synthesis and leucine thresholds and all that stuff. And, you know, for those that want to take deep dives into that, I've got loads of podcasts with all the main researchers on those areas. But if we bring this back to this food first perspective, which is, music to the practitioners is and this concept of a food matrix not everyone's heard that term food matrix yeah. so what why did you why did you get into this concept of the food matrix and let's just also define what, what does that term even mean as it relates to this topic yeah no i mean the food the food matrix is um just you know basically you know i mean i guess one of the easiest so all the all the nutrients within a within a food source, how they interact, you know, their signaling capabilities. Uh, you know, it's, like we already talked about how heat can impact the, the food matrix. So um, you know, it comes back to the this. I guess the easiest way to think about this is that you know we've all heard um, the saying that um, food is more than the sum of its parts, right? Mm. So food entirely is going to have a different metabolic effect because of all those nutrient interactions. Then if you take those same components and break them up, right, and then feed them to somebody, despite being matched for, you know, one for one for all for the macronutrients, there's food matrix effects. And the reality is we don't really understand it. We just know they exist, right? How these different nutrients and Yogurt has an interesting food matrix. I mean, dairy protein is really interesting from a food matrix uh, perspective. Um, Especially when you combine that with things like probiotics and prebiotics. And yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, all that, all that stuff is uh, is super, super intriguing, you know. And um, and you just don't have those food matrix effects when you just have, like, you know, an isolated, you know, in terms of this conversation, isolated protein source. Um, you know, maybe whey has some of these peptides that might be interesting, but we still don't even know if they're transferring and if they are, what they're doing, you know, I mean, so, um, but nonetheless, you know, food in general is, 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 is just a, it's, a, it's important. I mean, it's kind of silly to say, right? <laughs> we have to actually have a conversation about well, when this. you, yeah, I mean, when you actually sit there and, and, <laughs> and actually go, let's talk about this, you then... Yeah. You're like this. This is crazy. This is, but actually, people aren't thinking about this stuff, and it that's the funny. problem. It, it is funny because I actually, <laughs> uh, I have the conversation with my wife. You know, and whatever. I have to go on a trip to have a chat or a talk, and yeah. um, she's like, "What are you talking about?" And I'm just like, oh, "I'm just telling people to eat food." And she's like, "You're an idiot." I'm like, "No, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about." <laughs> I gotta tell them. <laughs> like, I know it's silly, but we just we got too far down this. You know enamored with you know well, i mean because that's where the i mean that's just where the messaging is um but now it's now the time time to take a step out of that and and think about you know not only a food matrix but what about you know a meal a complete meal and their interactions i mean it's yeah. you know can we you know how does it drink a glass of milk with a piece of 
steak if you're an animal eater, right? Um, how does that impact things, right? I mean, yep. we take advantage of different food matrix effects to, to help a, a meal. Um, I mean, that's getting farther, you know, that's kind of deep in the weeds, right? But um, uh, all that stuff is, is, is interesting. So, I mean, globally, just think about the food matrix is all the nutrients that are associated, nutrient-nutrient interactions, uh, their potential signaling uh, abilities, um, you know, all, all those things. Yeah, and I, I think for, and for all the reasons you've already explained and, um, and I'm trying to sort of bring back to the surface is this, you know, another way of, of saying it's greater than some of its parts is that as a strategy, your choice and recommendations of protein sources from real foods is you can, you can kill more than one bird, you know, with that one stone and those yeah. birds being, you know, health and, um, you know, uh, adaptations and, um, you know, there's just, there's so many different angles there and body composition and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, the food first approach, obviously I'm a proponent, but also, and you, I mean, everybody recognizes this and it's funny, I even have the amount of times, well, I'm not going to eat a chicken breast after, you know, after a workout. Yeah. I, I mean, of course I'm not saying carry a chicken breast in your back pocket <laughs> and pull it out and eat it. Of course not. Um, you know, and then we'll have a protein shake and, and, and then, then go home and eat a meal. Yeah, that's fine. But the, the question is, you know, <laughs> maybe that protein shake, just go home and eat a meal. <laughs> it's fine if you want to eat a protein shake. Looks like we sort of get you hydrated. It's that's some carbohydrates in it, so at least open muscle glycogen synthesis. But um, well, I you know, I mean that's that's the that's the that's the thing. People just are resistant to it because it's that those kind of well, look, like I said, Nick, you know, it's the following the path of least resistance. So those barriers for convenience, because, you know, we're, we're such challenged people in the modern world, aren't we? I mean, you know, <laughs> we don't have yeah. to hunt and gather. We just rip open a sachet and, and yeah. the protein job done. But the reality is, is we probably should be in the changing rooms necking a piece of chicken. <laughs> a bit like, a, yeah, yeah, like Henry VIII, we're just sitting there with like, you know, chicken drumsticks and throwing yeah, them over well, the shoulder. Okay. You know? I mean, okay, if we wanted to be, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, mean, I get that's unreasonable. But, you know, what is reasonable? Okay, why not just, you can take some powdered milk, you know, mm. you can put that into a protein shaker and just add some water and shake it up. And now you have... But more interesting food matrix from a portable perspective is just to use, you know, powdered milk. And those things are so so cheap. Yeah. Albeit they don't taste as great as uh, Oreo cookie, peanut butter, protein powder, or whatever sure. combination they have. Um, I recognize that. Uh, but if you're really into, you know, building a bigger muscle, then um, and taste doesn't matter, then, you know, just do that cheaper and perhaps yeah. more yeah. interesting. As a practitioner, I, I can tell you that a consideration is always going to be the practical application. And yes, particularly with certain kinds of athletes, like in my practice with like elite soccer players, um, for example, rugby players, um, more so rugby players, just because of the sheer size of them. Um, you know, you've got a game, um, maybe you win, maybe you lose. There's stuff going on. You're getting shouted at by the coach. You've got strategies. You might have to do some interviews with the television. Sure. You've got a long, you know, coach or plane ride somewhere. You know, the, the, the sheer fact is you're not necessarily going to be able to get your hands 
on what you need for, you know, to ensure recovery and so on and so forth. So from a practical perspective, you know, there are, there are arguments, but for somebody who's just going to the gym and they're going to be at home half an hour later to eat their, you know, eat their dinner or whatever, their supper uh, or lunch or, or breakfast or whatever, you know, that's an entirely different scenario. And that brings me back to, you know, one of my favorite phrases, um, which is more of an epistemological sort of thought process, which is, you know, you can, but should you? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's the, yeah, I mean, that's the perfect phrase. And, and again, and the funny thing is, these elite athletes, what is that? I don't even know the percent of the population, but it's, oh, it's a small yeah. percent, right? Yeah. I mean, most of the, most of the people that we're trying to get to, it's like, it's like the person you just described, like, is yeah. the person leaving, you know, leaving the, you know, hit a little workout, right? Maybe broke a sweat, probably worked out their jaw a little more. Um, I'm talking, speaking of me right now, <laughs> this is one of my workouts. Uh, yeah, I certainly can go home and wait to eat because um, I'm probably lucky if I even made my muscle sensitive to substrate some of my workouts. But um, no, I mean, that's, and that's, that's it. That's most, most of the population, right? But, you know, Again, holistically, once you get into those elite athletes, those top two percent, of course you got to think differently with these individuals, right? And that's the whole point of these holistic perspectives. Is like, okay, this is, you know, they have whatever rigorous travel uh, travel plans, all the interviews, as he alluded to, all this stuff, right? And as a practitioner, you got to recognize, okay, their lifestyle is very different than you know maybe a junior athlete or somebody else, right? Um, who doesn't have those kind of demands on their, their, their travel and all that so just adjusting accordingly i mean it's just just being being thoughtful <laughs> about it right well being so being thoughtful means as i have mentioned is you know we we need you know it's this can but should you so the can but should you leads us into the need to contextualize you know the scenario and then choose from the science and make that fit appropriately to the task at hand. So that brings me back to when making that decision, I need to ask myself, you know, what actually, what actually constitutes as optimal versus recommended in terms of protein intakes anyway? And how, how am I supposed to contextualize that anyway? Um, and I love, I love in your presentation, you showed us this, this, this slide on how protein nutrition fits on a continuum. Um, but, but defining optimal versus recommended is another one of those massive debates, isn't it? That exists out there, which for, for, for most of us ends up getting reduced to just a range of, you know, blah, 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 grams to blah, blah, grams per kilogram. And that's it. And it's a bit more complex than that. Well, you know, the point, I think, I think, you know, Stu and and Luke and, and others, of course, you know, they, I think they have it right. Even Dan Moore, you know, I think. You know, given a daily protein requirement, it's silly, right? I mean, that's, you know, eat, you know, and for a weightlifter or whatever they're recommending, or at least a young weightlifter, the 1.6 grams um, per kg per day, right? I mean, that's that's great to know, I guess, but it's not that useful of information. Where they've shifted to now, um, you know, the meal-based requirements, right? Um, and then, you know, this is how much protein we should get, you know, a breakfast, a lunch, et cetera, et cetera. But the problem is that's, that's the right place to be right now. But again, we have no idea of meal, the impact of meal frequency, right? We're just assuming that that, that first meal of the day is representative of every meal of the day. Um, we, don't, we don't know that. Nobody's really tested 
real frequency um, on, a, on a high level, right? And, and that's, you know, that's why there's sometimes, a, you know, probably a disconnect between some of our acute studies and, and the long-term training studies, right? I mean, you know, Luke Van Loon just published, uh, it's been a while now, I think Andy Guerrero was the lead author, we're showing that um, these are aging adults, but nonetheless still pertinent. You'd assume their protein requirements perhaps is elevated compared to their younger counterparts, but they showed that, you know, there was no difference in, you know, the skeletal muscle adaptive response, and I think they were pretty comprehensive, you know, whether CSA, DEXA, um, strength, et cetera. Uh, that I, I believe it was around, you know, 1.2 grams per kg per day, elicited the same adaptations that um, 1.6 grams uh, per kg per day. I could have those absolute numbers off a little bit, but nonetheless, major disconnect, right? Now, you know, in that particular study, 1.2 grams per day was, was enough. Um, and that's, you know, they were eating a high-quality base diet, it was sort of my point, right? So, yeah, they probably could get away with, with less. Um, but, you know, so, I mean, it's just... There's, I think there's a disconnect. Um, or with the weightlifters, they need to eat that much protein is because that's what they just train their body to do, right? Mm. They're in a, a protein oxidation mode. Um, so, of course, they need more protein because that's what they've been doing, right? I mean, same thing. Luke has these great studies where, you know, um, he put people on a high-protein diet for a while, put them on a low-protein diet, then fed them just a normal protein meal, right? So they came back a couple weeks later, just ate 20 grams of whey or casein or something. Um, and guess what? The individual is eating low protein, more amino acids became available in circulation, right? So that's telling us that that splenic tissue is, a, you know, um, is better at, you know, it's okay, we don't have a lot of protein floating around, so we better let a little more into circulation when we eat a meal versus the high protein eaters where, you know, it's just sort of like, Oh, I'm going to be getting another 50 grams here pretty soon. I might as well just extract a lot, you know, um, mm. you know, gut level. So, um, yeah. Well, it's I mean, still early days, isn't it? I think that's yeah, something that yeah, isn't necessarily well recognized is that, that this conversation rages, you know, particularly, uh, and dare I say, social media or Google or whatever, which is most definitely not where you should be looking for your information. <laughs> yeah, you say but that. There is almost as much going on in the peer-reviewed literature as people are battling away with you know what are the right intakes and what even constitutes as optimal and you know and so on and we, i think the answer is is we, we just got to hang on a bit haven't we we can yeah you're right and you know the social media aspects man i mean i think um again i obviously i, I allude to my mentors a lot so it sort of tells you how much i respect them well, I think Stu has said it best, and, you know, or at least trained us, you know, whether it's Dan, myself, or, you know, Rob, these other individuals, um, they're like, you know, in my case, you know, Nick, it no longer stops at the manuscript. Yeah. You've got to translate that message. That's your responsibility. Because if you don't, you're going to leave it up to somebody who, somebody else, and they're going to mess it up, right? And, you know, that's why he's so brilliant on, on social media. I mean, I, I just, yeah, he's it's amazing how he can multitask at his level. It's always a difficult thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, for me, I can't, you know, I try to translate, you know, I mean, it, you know, even Dave Costell, I mean, think about how phenomenal this individual was you know, mm. from performance lab at Ball State. For every scientific paper he wrote, he, he wrote a lay summary. 
look at that. that even that translation was going on. And yeah. some scientists just don't, you know, like I said, we gotta, we got to do that, right? We have to do that. We have to be better at that. And social media is a, I wish, I wish, Nick, but, you know, a bombshell that I will release is I, I frequently invite people to interview them on my, my podcast. And periodically I, I get a response from someone who's like, don't believe in podcasts. You know, I've only got time to publish my, my paper and, you know, operate, you know, um, you know, in the proper sort of, you know, environment of science. I'm like, oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I mean, that's just, yeah. you know, maybe just a different perspective. And I, you can, I mean, obviously we respect those approaches, but I think um, we do science because we want to impact as most people as we can. Yeah. You know? And I um, mean, also have, I mean, have a good time doing it as well. I mean, it's, so yeah, I mean, podcasts are, are, are a great outlet, you know, so social media. But well, yeah. They add to it, don't they? Um, not all of them, um, but let, 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 and by that I mean, you know, because this, this is my interest is in translational stuff. Like, for example, you know, I, I I I try my best in this regard, and I have published work, but for me, I feel my uh, you know my avenue is in spoken. I like to I like to have that practitioner to research or practitioner to practitioner conversation, because. You know, I've, I've done my research in this area. I've done my doctorate in this area. That's, that's where my quality control comes. And I talk to people like yourself who've done or are doing research and or publishing in this area. That's about as close as I can get to some sort of quality control. Um, but we are fighting a lot of noise out there. And, and um, as, that, as that hits the practitioner or the consumer, it's a very, you know, there's a lot of noise that you have to sort of, you know, tune through or tune out. And it's very difficult. So... That's why we're, you know, we're so appreciative when people like yourself and, and all the others do contribute time to doing this. But although we're near the end of this chat, let, let's just come back to uh, something um, that I think is, um, you know, really topical right now. And that is, speaking of noise that exists in social media and Netflix and so on, is this, this, this crazy debate that still wages on about the difference between you know, um, or this polarized debate, I should say, of animal versus plant-based, which is not too different from the whole, you know, low-carb, high-carb, keto type thing, where people can't accept that actually we can have the best of all worlds as long as you get it right and contextualize yeah. it and so on. So just let's just talk about that. Um, you know, in terms of the holistic sort of food-first, food matrix perspective, where does plant-based fit into this uh, i know you've mentioned earlier the answer to this kind of but that you know can we can we do this well particularly for athletes through a plant-based diet and, and what are the considerations that maybe we? well need? yeah i mean so think about that absolutely plant-based so that's a that's a deceiving word a plant-based yeah. right but here in the u.s a plant-based diet also incorporates high quality dairy protein and eggs those are components of a plant-based diet so by our definition, a plant-based diet obviously is, has plant-based protein, but it doesn't mean you don't incorporate yeah. animal-based animal protein. In, this case, in our, our guidelines case, it's going to be dairy and eggs, right? Yeah. Of course, you could do it well. Now, from a vegan perspective, then it, it gets harder, but you can, you can do it, of course, but you've got to be pretty thoughtful uh, about what you're doing, right? Um, using, like I said, the complementary protein pairings and probably using some of those high quality plant-based blends. Um, you know, so there's some really, you know, the soy protein, I mean, 
soy protein is, is fine, but you know, now they make, you know, they make nice isolated plant-based blends, you know, and yeah, you're going to have to leverage a little bit on some, some of these dietary plant-based or, you know, vegan, um, based, um, supplemental powders, right? Um, so those are two, plant-based, easy, anybody, I mean, that's easy in my mind, a plant-based diet, if you're using it by definition, right, which is utilizing, um, uh, you know, certain uh, animal-based proteins, dairy eggs to help. A vegan, it's a little more, a little more challenging. I mean, we're testing that, that question right now. Um, right. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's, um, you know, I mean, it's, comes back to, if you have a high enough, probably, high enough target of protein you're probably you're probably fine but then you kind of sidestep that sustainability question right <laughs> the beauty of animal based proteins is that they deliver a lot of essential amino acids without eating a lot of energy right in excess right with plant-based protein they're vegan with vegan based approach you, you have to eat a little more substrate to get your, your protein requirement so um you know, so I mean, yeah, I mean, plant-based it works, yeah, absolutely. Vegan, yeah, it works too, but it's just having to be more thoughtful. I, I like the plant-based definition here in the states, um, to be honest, because, like I said, you're pretty confident. You know, if you're incorporating yeah. dairy and egg into that diet, then um, yeah, but you see, that, that 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 goes the issue again with translational issues. Someone hears the word plant-based, plant-based or plant-based. <laughs> Um, but, but, but that in itself is, you know, I've, I've had, I've had athletes, you know, on the one hand, you think a plant-based diet is a vegan diet. And on the other hand, a plant-based diet is, um, you know, as you say, can contain things like uh, dairy and, and eggs and so on. Um, so there's so much confusion. There yeah. exists yeah. Well, my, my, you know, so my household, I'm, I have two kids and, you know, obviously myself and I'm, I'm an animal based consumer. My wife's a, you know, a vegetarian. So it's, you know, she does it really well. The beauty of a vegetarian is, is that if I would cook a side or something, it's not very beautiful. It's not very colorful. Right. Um, you know, here's a, here's a thing of mashed potatoes and a piece of steak. Right. But when she makes something that's, beautiful <laughs> you know what i mean it's like yeah 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 dense. it's um takes her you know but i'm again it's, yeah it's, no a carnival's diet can be pretty ugly <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure yeah no 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 we i have no doubt so you know if you're more artistically visually orientated yeah let's go there yeah. plant-based so yeah i mean yeah so it works i mean i i i haven't i mean i saw you know the yeah, plant-based is getting more popular and, and whatnot i mean it's always like sort of it's like what's what's the rationale you know what i mean it's yeah my whole perspective i don't buy it you know if it's from an ethical standpoint no, I, yeah it's too it's fine um i agree it's too simple to break it down i i think you know we can have the best of all worlds and and still be mindful of you know personal preference and circumstances and you know religious or ethical or environmental like there's just you know there's arguments for and against everything and i just i mean you know at the end of the day and i think i've said this before when it comes down to that you know is is animal or plant-based or whatever better for the environment i think the only real answer to that question is is that human beings are bad for the environment <laughs> well yeah i mean again i think arguments. if you're really concerned about the environment turn off the light ride your bike right yeah Take public transportation, right? Exactly. If you're not concerned about the environment, 
that's going to be it's more not wasting healthy. food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All, that, all that stuff. So um, I think, wait until yeah. you get home before you have your your chicken breast or your tofu yeah, steak. I you don't need that. that I think that's um, that's all right. That's fair, but you know what? I mean, it's but again, it's like um, you know the messaging there is like, and my point earlier was like, okay, right? If this is the choice you have, you know, let's tell you how to eat that diet as opposed to not basically say, no, it's terrible. Don't do it. Well, you know what, to them, that's what they want to do. So let's tell them how they can most effectively do that. Um, and that's, and that's, that's the point, right? Everybody's a little different. It's a continuum and um, being thoughtful about all that stuff is, is important. So I look, I, you know, I think there's, there's so much more we could get into, but sure. I think, I think what I would do is, and I will do in terms of the show notes here is, is I will direct people to various podcasts with your various uh, colleagues in, in the research sphere um, who tend to, to there's, a, there's a lot of Canadians on, on this, uh, North Americans, also, but just generally uh, I'll link to those because I think they're all really important pieces of the puzzle because it's such a big topic. And I'll be linking to these papers that, um, that I read that, that uh, form the background of, of some of what we, we discussed. But just to end this then, I, I, you know, it's really, you, it's impossible to do a tweetable summary, at least one that is appropriate or effective, but to loosely summarize then what your key points are on, on this sort of holistic, you know, a sort of food, food matrix, food first approach is, How, you know, if someone sort of bumps into you or so, on the train or the bus, and they want to give you that minute or so to answer that. What you know? What sort of response would you like to like to end this conversation with? Um, yeah, that's a no pressure. It's <laughs> the best question you had all day. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's. I think the. I think the point is, it's. Um, you know, usually. Um, you know, it's. Man, I mean, that's. You know, the take-home message and. From, from this sort of holistic sort of thing is, you know, it's, it's okay to be you, you know, we can, there are good approaches that can work for, for any individual, right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, taking one, and but they're intended to be that, that's the issue, right? There's, the recommendations are a global compass, right? Yeah. Um, they were never, that's the problem with any general recommendation, it's not individualized. Um, um, so, you know, you know, yeah, that use that for information, but understand to, you know, it's, it's a, it's a sliding scale. Things, things have to be adapted to, you know, life is crazy, man. You know, <laughs> life is crazy, man. That's the best answer all day. <laughs> I wish you could enter, a, end a paper with that. Last, the last paragraph, life, life is crazy, man. But that yeah. is accurate. And um, but you know, no joking apart, but that is how it is. And it is not just simply a case of, right, let's solve this problem by lifting something from a table in a textbook or a paper and apply it. You know, we got to do some thinking about this stuff and we've got to think carefully about where that information came from that, that we're using to inform our, you know, opinions uh, 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 and so on. And I, you know, I question how much thinking people actually do about this stuff. And to, and to quote Kev Tipton, who, who has mentored me a lot over the years, um, it is very much about 
yeah, be skeptical, but also be open-minded, you know, and if you yeah, can combine those two things together, I think you're, you're two thirds of the way there. Yeah. I mean, you know, from the food first approach, I mean, just, I mean, that's the important messaging is that food, we, I mean, it's silly. We don't know a lot about food. There's a lot of exciting things there. Right. And, and just keeping in mind that yes, isolated protein powders, they work, they work. I'm not saying they don't work. But think about food, man. It's it's much more it's much more interesting. There's you know from a diet quality standpoint, um, that should you know my always my biggest concern is everybody wants to reach for a protein shake, right? As their front line of defense, um, you know. But if you have access to it and can, you know, go home and make a proper proper meal, right? That's and, right. You know, that's right. Go and have a conversation with someone. Yeah, exactly. All that. I mean, that's, that's, that's the point. Yeah, um, I agree. I agree. Food, you know, that's my, you can, but should you thought process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. um, um, that all comes by the way, from, uh, uh, for, for, for the older members of the audience, there was that, uh, uh, Columbo detective Columbo. And it's always this, this thing where uh, you think the, uh, the crime has been solved or evaded, but uh, he, leaves, he leaves the room and the door's about to close and then he pops back in and says, oh, just one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's how it is. Yeah, yeah it is, isn't it? You can, but should you? Yeah, I mean, I, I get that this podcast was pretty dynamic. Hopefully this is what you were going for. <laughs> <laughs> Life is crazy, man. That's exactly... In fact, that's going to be the name of this podcast. Life is crazy, man. Hey, um, thank you so much. Wrong. I've yeah. really enjoyed the, the conversation with you. You know, as with all these chats, it, it's additive to what's published out there. It is not supposed to be, you know, just, just, just a podcast. Um, I'd like everyone to, you know, to, to, to do this, the, the respect it deserves and actually read around and, and, and so on and so forth and give it all some, some thought and consideration. And we'll be looking forward to seeing, what else you find um, down the road with your with your research? Um, so yeah. with that in mind, I'll link to you and your um, you know your uh, Twitter, etc. But but is there any particular place you'd you direct people if they want to follow your work? Um, yeah, I mean certainly um, my uh, my uh, my webpage off is off my Twitter page. Okay, great. Yeah, I'll link to that in my handle right right now that <laughs> tells you how much i use twitter um uh, but yeah so they can link on onto there yeah we got a lot of cool stuff coming up related to the food matrix effects and food-based guidelines these kind of things so i'm hope, hoping we can contribute a little bit to this conversation and clear That'd be great from a small perspective but also just a, a small shout out um i'm in desperate need of graduate students so if there's any key people looking to do some substrate and exercise metabolism work um tell them to, to reach out that'd be, that'd be awesome yeah go for it that would be an amazing opportunity um that would be awesome so yeah let's let's we'll, we'll add that into the recommendations too um well look, thank you nick it's been yeah. awesome um uh, just to remind listeners that uh, there's a bunch of um, podcasts related to this conversation, which I will link to on the show notes. The show notes uh, can be accessed either via the link to the podcast, the We Do Science podcast website via theiopn.com, T-H-E-I-O-P-N.com, which is our main institute website, or the podcast has its own specific website, which is simply wedoscience.com, which is where you'll actually find all the downloadable stuff uh, and the, the notes and, and the information. 
Um, but for any of you that are interested in furthering yourselves as, um, as uh, current or aspiring practitioners in sport and exercise nutrition, that's what we specialize in at this, the, uh, the Institute of Performance Nutrition is the training and development of performance nutritionists. So check out our, our courses and training and education programs and so on. Um, and I, of course, am Laurel Bannock. I look forward to bringing another episode back to you very soon.